Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? I want you to know that all the people at the 8.30 service <clears throat> silently judged every one of you for not being there. Just want to remind you what we're doing. We have switched our service time so that we can have a little bit more time in the service for you to spend time in worship, uh, to practice being in the presence of God so that you can work that into your, your daily lives. And we changed it from 8.30, to, from 9 o'clock to 8.30, um, really to try to make there, there to be two choices for families. We're kind of overrun. Some of you know this. We've been running close to 200 kids in our Kintown ministry every week, which we need you to volunteer. But when we split that up, it makes it a little easier. So we're trying to divide uh, the number of kids in each service. Does that make sense? Did I completely confuse you? All right, let's talk about the word. All right, shall we? So we're in a series on being curious, and we have been studying stories about Jesus so that we can learn more about him, but also learn more about ourselves and maybe in our community, maybe even about this city. So uh, today we're in Mark chapter 10. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of Bibles around here that you can have, take home with you. They're in the window seals. They're out front when you walk in. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, raise your hand and somebody will throw you one. Wouldn't you just want to see that? Uh, okay, all right. Y'all are still sleeping. Lauren, come on and read for us. This is uh, starting in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Okay, so let's pause. Like, I don't know how you are when somebody reads, if you can hear it, or if it's just white noise. But let's go back to what Jesus said, because I want to highlight something that he said here. Just read uh, the red letters. Got it. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Okay, stop right there. So Jesus drops the K word, and he's talking about a kingdom. And he says that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, and he's pointing to the kids. That matters. What's the next sentence he says? Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus is saying there's some exclusiveness to this kingdom. In fact, there are people that are on the outside and there are people on the inside. And if you want to get in, this passage is talking about how we do that. That's where we're going. All right. So, y'all ready? You curious? Little Ted Lasso? You get it? Some of you don't watch TV. God bless you. So what's going on here? So the disciples... A bunch of families are bringing their kids to come to see Jesus, and they wanted the Jesus touch on their children, and the disciples are going, no, 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 no. Say right there, no access. You know, you're not getting near Jesus. Jesus finds out about it, and he's not just angry, he's indignant. I love this. I mean, your Messiah is getting angry, and is it possible to be angry and not sin? Obviously. That's a whole other sermon. We'll talk about that another time, but... But Jesus says, no, 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 disciples, he rebukes them, he brings the kids in, and he says, 
hey, right here is the secret to getting into the kingdom of God. What? What is Jesus saying? Like, like is Jesus saying that, that we have to be like kids if we want to get into the kingdom? And what does that really mean when he says that we have to be like kids? Does it mean that like we're just supposed to be sweet and we're supposed to be like cuddly and cute and cooing all the time? I mean, what is he literally saying? Is he saying that if you want, you have to have the best attributes of kids if you want to get into the kingdom? Well, the last time I went to the zoo, have you been to the zoo? There are some kids at the zoo that I'm not sure are getting into the kingdom. We were walking up to the, to like the stands where they sell all the food. I think it's called snake bites. Go ahead, say it. Horrible. Anyway, before we got there, we heard a kid screaming. And I was convinced the lions had gotten loose and they are devouring a child. We get up there and it's a kid who dropped a french fry. Dropped a french fry and their world is coming to an end. Trust me, that kid <clears throat> ain't getting in the kingdom. So what is this passage about? Like, what is Jesus talking about? Is this where I try to talk you guys into if you don't treat kids nice, you're not getting in the kingdom? I mean, because we all know the Sunday school pictures of Jesus with all the kids on his knee and, you know, all they're around him. Is that what a good Christian is? And that's what gets us into the kingdom? That if you serve in kid town, you won't go to hell? Let me close this in prayer. <laughs> Sign up is in the back. <laughs> You know, in this cute little passage of scripture is something very offensive to me. It's very offensive to me. I think you're going to find it offensive too because Jesus is kind of picking a fight and he's picking a fight with you. And what he's picking a fight about is that there's a war going on that we need to acknowledge and decide which side of the war we're going to be on. So let's think about kids. When it comes to kids, we have to confess kids have nothing. Seriously. Kids are broke. Like they have no money. <laughs> like they may live in a big house. That's their parents' house. That's not their house. They got nothing. And you know what else? Kids have no accomplishments. Like they're massive underachievers. Like they have no resume. Like they don't have any kind of degrees. Like do you know how many third graders can't read or three-year-olds can't read? Like they have no experience, they have no job, they can't feed themselves, they can't clothe themselves, they can't protect themselves. Kids really have nothing. In fact, they're the most helpless group of people in all of humanity. They need everything done for them. And on top of that, they're lousy athletes. <laughs> you ever been to a four-year-old t-ball uh, game? Yeah, you and I have been there? Let me explain for you. T-ball is where they put the ball on a tee. On a tee. They tee the ball up. It's not thrown to them. It's on a tee. And all they have to do is hit the ball off the tee and then run anywhere. All right? <laughs> there, there is no basis. It's just mass chaos. And most of the kids can't hit the ball on the tee. I know. I'm, I'm being hard on kids, right? What I'm trying to illustrate is literally kids bring nothing to the equation. They bring nothing. 
They've got nothing to bring to the equation. And what Jesus is saying to us, when it comes to the kingdom, you've got nothing to bring to the equation. Zero. In fact, if you want to get into the kingdom, the first step that you have to realize is that you've got nothing to get you into the kingdom. Nothing. You've got nothing in your pockets. You've got no currency that you can spend in the kingdom that's going to open the gates of kingdom for you. In fact, you have less than nothing. The scriptures say that we have all sinned. We've all sinned. In fact, our account is a deficit. What we bring to this equation is not even 1%, 1% of 1%. We bring negative percentage. In fact, what Jesus is saying is that if you want to get into the kingdom, there's nothing you can do to get into the kingdom. And this is offensive to me. And it may be offensive to you too. Because I've spent my whole life trying to do something. Trying to get something. Trying to be something. And you're telling me that if I want to get into the kingdom of God, the first step I have to realize is my hands are empty and I don't have anything. And I'm telling you it's offensive to me because it is in my blood that what I do is what I am. It is in my blood that what I've done is what gives me value. It's in my blood that what I've achieved is my achievements. It's what I anchor my identity in. It's what I anchor my value in. It's what I anchor my hope in. And it's what I anchor you respecting me for. Right? Oh, is that too real? I'll tell you, you know, when I am hanging out with other pastors that... Uh, that I don't know, that we're meeting for the first time. Uh, there's something about pastors being together because we're weird, that we kind of awaken each other's egos. Like this need to prove that God is using me more than anybody else. Isn't that crazy? Like, I am a vessel of the Lord, but I'm a better vessel than you. <laughs> I'm a clay pot and I've got many cracks, but I'm a better clay pot than you are. Like, think of the perversion of that. That when pastors get together, what do they want to know? How big is your church? How big is your budget? What kind of influence are you having? Like, are you an influential pastor? Are you an influencer? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's so broken. I mean, it really is so broken. You think about who are the people that we celebrate in the spiritual world? We celebrate the super pastors, the guys that are on television that have audiences of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, people that have churches of 10, 20, 30,000. And what we say is our mission is to equip the saints to do ministry. Our job is to help you grow up as a disciple of Christ, mature in your faith, mature relationally, and then begin to live out the very purpose for the way that God designed you. You are God's plan for ministry in Nashville. And when we go to school, we all are looking for schools that have smaller classrooms. Why? Because we know that the teacher-student ratio matters. Like we would love a school where the teacher-student ratio is so small that my child has enough people to have community with, but few enough people to where they get one-on-one -on -one attention from the teacher. And we go, that's worked, that's worked, that's worked. We've proved it. But when it comes to the church, we put a thousand in the room. <laughs> like we throw that equation right out the door. We go, the more the merrier. Okay, that was kind of a rabbit trail. 
What's at war here is I don't want to think that I bring nothing to the equation. I don't want to do that. In fact, I want to believe that I bring a lot to the equation. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. This story of children is all throughout each of the Gospels. And so when we read the same story in another gospel, it has a little bit more, a different perspective to help us piece together the full story here. And in Matthew chapter 18, uh, it starts with the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So let me tell you what's happening. They're not coming and going, Jesus, we were pondering theologically uh, as we consider heaven, who will be greatest? Moses, Abraham, maybe Jacob? Who, who will? Be? That's not it at all. These are the guys that are going, okay, it's kind of like me going, okay, Jesus, I know this guy in Nashville, Dandy Braun, and he works at Uptown Fellowship. Where will he be in the kingdom? Self-centered questions. They're trying to figure out among us, what we were arguing about is which one of us is going to be greater in the kingdom of God. <laughs> and that's when Jesus called a little child to him. And he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change, change, unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, from the very beginning, we come with nothing. If you want to know more about this, in Matthew chapter 20, there's another story of uh, this mother. Her kids are the sons of Zebedee, who are disciples, James and John, and she brings them to Jesus. So you get this picture of mom walking in and dragging her boys in and says to Jesus, I have a request of you. Would you place one of my boys on your right side and one of my boys at your left side? If James is going to be on your left, let John be on your right. If, if, if John is on the right, let James be on the left. And what's crazy about this is that she's fighting for them to have position in the kingdom of God. In verse 24, when the 10 other disciples heard about this, they were indignant. They were indignant with the two brothers. They're like, come on, man. Are you serious? You're playing the mom card? Your mom brought in and she's fighting for you? Are you kidding me? Your mom? We need to go get our mother. And Jesus turns to all the disciples because now they're all in this mindset of what do we bring to the kingdom? And he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's this twisting. It's this upside down. And why is Jesus doing this? He says, before we can move toward the kingdom, first we acknowledge what is true. And what is true is that I've got nothing that's going to get me into the kingdom of God. In Romans chapter 3, and this is in verse 21, it, cl it clearly states it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Now, I've got to stop there. Because the law was this moral law. It was this ceremonial law. It was this social law that actually declared this is what you keep to become righteous before God. This is what you do 
to get into the kingdom. And what was the problem with the law was when the law said something, that this is the pathway to get into the kingdom, I can't keep the law. In fact, I found that the more I understood the law, the more of the lawbreaker I was, the more that I bring nothing but my own sin to this equation. So the next, the next sentence is really critical. It says, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. In other words, here's what happens. The high king of this kingdom left this kingdom and now comes down to where I am. I can't get to him because I have nothing to get into this kingdom. So he left his kingdom to come to me. And here's the incredible great exchange that we hear about in the gospel. He who knew no sin, Christ, king of that kingdom, became all my sin. He became all my sin. When he went to the cross, he became all my sin, all my mistakes, all my shortcomings, all my lack of ability to make the law work, all my nothingness he took to the cross. And he was nailed to the cross. And before he died, he said, it is finished. And when he died, I was forgiven and set free from all that sin. Here's the great exchange. He who knew no sin became my sin so that, and here's the crazy thing, so that I might become the righteousness of God. You get the exchange? Jesus, here's all my sin, less than nothing. Jesus says, fantastic. Here is all my righteousness. And what does righteousness do? It brings me into the kingdom. So where is the boasting? It's only in him. It's not in me. I got nothing to boast in. It's not Jesus plus my good works. It's not Jesus plus me going to church. I know. You're like, yahoo, we stay home next week. Maybe. It's not me plus praying. It's not me plus giving to the church. It's not me plus not cursing. It's not me plus not smoking. It's not me plus getting my addiction under control. It's not me plus getting my sexual life in alignment with scripture. It's not me stopping drinking. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. It is the only way to get into the kingdom. That is it. The only way you stay out of the kingdom is that you have a Messiah that can't get you into the kingdom. And we got lots of Messiahs. And the only way we stay out of this is my, my Messiah can't get me in. The only way I get in is my Messiah opens the door and brings me in. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know I bring my repentance to that, right? Like I bring faith. Like I got, I got faith that I bring to that. So it's Jesus plus my faith. Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, it says, for it is by grace. That's a good word. For it is by grace that we, are, we have been saved through faith. Aha! There it is. And this not from yourself. Wait a minute, what? And this not from yourself. What, what's not from myself? Faith. And it says, because it's a gift of God. Even my faith is a gift from God, not by work so that no one can boast. You can't even boast about your faith. It's like, have you ever seen a five-year-old give their dad a Christmas present? It's amazing. The dad expresses gratitude. Where did that poor, broke little kid get the money to give that president? From daddy. 
Even the faith that I have to express my need and my poverty for Jesus to rescue from myself came from him. That's why it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this is the great thing about the kingdom. I don't put works in front of grace. I put works after grace. I don't work to get grace. That's the gift. But the gift to me now that I have grace is to live my life out of that grace. When we get them backwards, well, they kind of mess us up. Think about this. This is the words of Kent Hughes. You may not know him. He's a theologian that's written a ton of commentaries that I've enjoyed over the years. He says, every child born into the world is absolutely, completely, totally, actually helpless. And so is it with every child who is born into the kingdom of God. Children of the kingdom enter it helplessly. If Billy Graham entered the kingdom, it's not because he has a personality or that he's personally preached to more people than any man in history. It will not be because he remains impeccable in his finances when so many have failed. It's not because he's been a faithful husband. It's not because, despite his fame, he has remained a humble and self-effacing kind man. When Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will be because he came to Christ as a helpless child. It will be because God, un, God's undeserving kindness toward Billy's helplessness. Jesus alone. Right, we can stop there. That's good. That's good news, you know? Um, but it also says we receive the kingdom. And here's, here's a beautiful part that we get to participate in this, is that what Christ has done to come now and bring me the gift of faith and grace, now he invites me to receive it. And you know what kids are great at? Kids are great at receiving. They're just great at it. Like, have you ever given a kid a present? They love it. They get so excited about it. In fact, kids love presents uh, because they're presents. And what I mean by that is, have you ever been on a Christmas morning with a bunch of uh, presents for one child, and they open the present because they don't know what's in it? It's just a wonder. This thing's wrapped up, and I get to unwrap it. It's wonderful. I'm receiving this. And they open it, and they see this toy that mom spent like six months trying to find. And they go, awesome. And they throw it over their shoulder to unwrap the next present. Because what they're enjoying is not what they're getting in the present. They're enjoying the wonder of unwrapping the present. Have you ever seen that with little kids? They're just captivated by the wonder. And here's the beautiful thing about the Lord saying we must come to him as a child. We come to him with wonder. Because kids find wonder in everything. We had our grandkids over at the house the other night, and I said, hey, let's build a fire and make s'mores. And so we built a fire in the fire pit, and my five-year-old grandson came to me, and I said, okay, tonight you're going to be the official fire poker. And he's like, Yes! What is that? I said, I'll teach you. Don't worry, man. Don't worry. It's the first time in his life. I'm done. First time in his long five years of living that he was ever appointed as the fire poker. And so I gave him the fire poker, and he's like, he's got it. And he goes, okay, what do I do this? I go, when the fire starts to die down, don't worry. I'll, I'll give you the signal. You poke it. And it'll get the fire going again. And he goes, whoa. He was so excited. He was just standing there waiting. Like, he was just praying, please, fire, go down, go down, go down. 
And I gave him the signal, and he poked it. And maybe you've never been the official fire poker, have you? If you had, you would know that when you poke a fire, sparks come up from the fire, and they ascend. And he poked the fire and jumped back and looked at me and says, what is that? He'd never seen that before. And he's mesmerized by it. And I told him, man, that's the angel of the fire that's leaving because you're angry. (laughs) Kids are so easily manipulated. No, I didn't say that. I I said, man, I started explaining to him. But here was the thing. It was just, it was so wonderful to him. He was in awe of everything about it. What has happened to us? When, when did growing up mean that we leave wonder behind? When, when did growing up become that we have to stop celebrating wonder? And somehow or another, we got convinced that what growing up means is now I have to become something wonderful. That wonder has to be found in me. You know, and because I'm going to tell you that the wonder of receiving a gift is now lost on us. Because we are so filled with ourselves, we don't want people to give us gifts anymore. We want to be the gift givers. Some of you have heard the story. A number of years ago, I was in a grocery store, and the woman in front of me, she had three kids crawling everywhere. It was crazy, and a basket full of groceries, and they're running it through the scanner. And as they're getting about almost to the end, she pulls out of her purse food stamps and starts looking at the total and counting up and realizes, I'm going to come up short. So she starts grabbing stuff and say, yeah, don't take that off. Take that off. Take. She's, she's trying to figure out how to get this food that she got out of necessity down to what she can survive on. And she's looking kind of panicked. And the kids are being kids, you know. And they're not getting in the kingdom. Those are crazy kids. And so I'm, in, I'm right behind her line. And I, I look at the register and I go, hey, just give her everything. And what she comes up short on, I'll pay for it. And the, the woman, you know, she didn't look at me and go, oh, thank you. You must be a man of God. She just kind of looked at me and said, thanks. And she didn't trust it, but she got her groceries and left. And I'm going out of the car, and the Holy Spirit said, now it's your turn to repent. I'm like, well, what do you want me to repent of, Lord? Your arrogance and your pride. What do you mean? You are, you are organizing your whole life around never being in that woman's position. You would never want to be there in that place of need. You would never want to be in a place where other people have to come and rescue you. You are organizing your life to where you're always the rescuer. You're always the one that meets needs. You're not the one that ever needs anything. And it wrecked me. It wrecked me because I've lost the wonder, because I'm consumed with me becoming wonderful. And you know what we do when we, when we are consumed with becoming wonderful? We start asking questions of our lives that when we're in Christ, we have no business ever asking, such as, am I power, powerful enough? Am I pretty enough? Do you think Jesus is asking that question of you? Are you fit enough? Am I smart enough? Am I rich enough? Am I accomplished enough? Am I a good enough mom? Am I a good enough dad? Am I wasting my life? Does anybody love me? This little passage here is Jesus saying, hey, like a child, we have nothing. And like a child, he's inviting us to receive and come back to the wonder of a father who is the great gift giver. Because he doesn't grow tired of that. 
This was a quote that our pastors were passing around this week of G.K. Chesterton. He, he was a preacher who preached really long sermons. Thank God he's not your pastor. <laughs> he says, Become, because children have abandoned vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we are. What if this morning, what if it's even possible this morning that some of you are sitting here going, I, I don't know if I'm in that kingdom. Jesus uses two words to describe this kingdom. Do you know what they are? Real life and full. Is that your life? Are you fully alive? Are you full? Do you know the kingdom of Christ? Well, today, he said, if you're willing like a child to come, you're willing to say, I don't know if I have anything to give to you, Jesus. And Jesus is awesome. That's so good because i got so much to give you. Now open your hands and receive. He says simply, we have to call on the name of Christ and the kingdom will be open to us. I don't know where you are this morning. Some of you may have said, you know, man, that happened to me a long time ago. Well, let me say this to you. Christ says in Colossians, in the same way you received me a long time ago, live in me now like that. The same way you receive me, live like that. Yes. Daddy, give me more again, again, again. But some of you may not know him. If that's the case, join me in prayer. Father, life is hard. Relationships don't always work. Everything that I thought was going to give me life and fill me to the full took life away and emptied the tanks. I've chased all the things that this world said would make me lovable, make me wonderful, and I'm not sure that any of them works. So I come to you right now with nothing but my sin, poor, bankrupt, and broke, and ask you now to come and set me free. Would you come now and give me life and give it to me in the full? I repent of all my sins. I lay them before you and thank you that you paid the price for those sins by your, your death on the cross. And I receive that forgiveness now and also receive the power of your resurrection and the new life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for this new life you give us. Thank you, it changes us. Thank you, it brings us into your kingdom. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.